0: We're going to read a creepypasta today. It is called The Journal of a Sociopath by R.M. Stanforth. I'm a retired private investigator turned real crime blogger. I've been receiving anonymous manuscripts in the mail detailing heinous accounts of appalling sociopathy. For some reason, concerning my work and the situation, I didn't want to give you my true identity. You can refer to me as Mr. S. I started in my early years as a detective, not to toot my own horn, but I was highly effective at my job, and before too long, I started taking on much higher paying jobs as a freelance private investigator. Over the years, I have solved several high profile cold murder cases. Unfortunately. In a work-related attack, I was seriously injured and retired from my job as a private investigator five years ago. Since then, I've started a well-known real crime blog and podcast. Recently, I started to receive the handwritten manuscripts from an anonymous source in the mail detailing acts of dark sociopathy. No return address. On the outside of the second envelope, there was the following note. My work is in art that has gone unnoticed far too long. Although few would understand, it is time that my art is presented to the world. Below is the second manuscript I received. This manuscript was titled University. If you have not read the first manuscript, you can read the first one here. Be warned, I believe that what you are about to read is the journal of a sociopath. I was in my sophomore year at the university past two years had gone exactly as planned. My status as foster child ensured that my tuition would be covered. Dean and Sarah had followed through with their offer of adoption and accepted me as their son. As such, they provided me with a modest allowance, ensuring that my pantry would remain filled and my needs were met. I had a nice computer, a new cell phone, and all the school supplies I would need. I also had a place to stay during the summer or holidays. Although I prefer to spend time alone, I provided Dean and Sarah with just enough interaction and gratification to keep them bending over backward for me. Life was good until destined, that is. In my previous year, I had the fortune of being assigned a roommate that rarely spoke. He minded his own business. We never had a real conversation. As a matter of fact, I don't even remember the kid's name. It was perfect. This year, I had been assigned a very different roommate, Dustin. Dustin was a special kind of fool who felt the need to be the center of attention. My apartment was always crammed with similar idiots who can't quite ma- seem to manage five seconds without speaking. They were always talking, shouting, blaring pathetic pop music written by musicians who had the vocabulary skill of a dirty mind first graders. Dustin and his group of retards re- replicated the essence of their favorite songs by getting sloppy drunk and back bragging about banging hoes and such. I was disgusted that my generation could succumb to such ludicrous culture. At first, I thought they were just drinking. I shut myself in my room or the library as much as possible, ignoring the idiots. It didn't take me long to realize, however, they were consuming a little more than just booze. Every time Dustin walked near a waif of burnt marijuana would insult my nose. And soon my apartment reeked of every reeked of it every evening. And if that wasn't bad enough, one Saturday morning I woke up to find the remnants of their Friday night festivities. People I did not recognize lay on the couch and on the floors, snoring like hibernating pests. The mess of crushed aluminum beer cans, burnt joints, along with the aroma of stale cigarettes, gave the appearance of it gave the appearance as if a herd of homeless addicts had spent the night in my apartment. On the coffee table were smears of fine white powder, fingerprints wishing about, a small white straw from a fast food establishment laid on the ground. It was not hard to tell that these snoring idiots had done plenty of cocaine. Now, I don't care if they smoke weed or do cocaine as long as they possess no threats to my well-being. Naturally, if Dustin were to get caught with drugs, it could come down on me as well. Guilty by association, as they say. Obviously, I couldn't accept such a risk in my life. I would need to confront Dustin about this. I walked into his room, kicking away beer cans that clanged across the floor. In the midst of his room, which resembled a landfill, was his bed. Scattered bedsheets and a comforter gave way to a cluster of tangled limbs. I pulled the sheets off to find Dustin in his underwear, his girlfriend beside him nearly naked. Ripping off his smelly sheets did nothing to stir the kid from his drug-induced hibernation, so gave him a nudge. Nothing. Dustin, wake up and clean this shit up, I said, but Dustin barely stirred. My patience was already thin, but each and every second that I had to exist in tie this pigsty made me more agitated. I grabbed him by the foot and ripped him out of bed. The first thing that hit the floor was his face, which practically bounced off the cheap gray carpet. "'What the hell?' said Dustin, finally somewhat unconscious. His hands clutched his head in obvious pain from the hangover, only made worse from the hit on the head. His palms worked their way to his eyes as he rubbed them and tried to open his eyelids. "'Get up, Dustin!' get these idiots out of my apartment and clean up your pigsty. If I wanted to live in a trailer park filled with trashy idiots, I would. Get the hell out of here, asshole. Quit being a little bitch, he told me, looking up with his squinty eyes as if someone was shining a flashlight directly in his face. I could see the headache in his eyes, showing clear signs of a huge hangover. I knew how to handle a guy with a huge hangover. I headed the kitchen with a squeaky with a squeak i opened one of the faded brown kitchen cabinets and grabbed old discolored pot and matching fry pan holding their backs together i headed back to dustin's room where he was already back to snoring his in his bed i flipped the light on and strolled across the room taking care to step on dirty laundry as i pulled the frayed white cord from the crooked blinds the sunshine penetrated the dark room both dustin and his girlfriend reactively pulled the blankets over the faces to shield their eyes from the penetrating rays. Two major symptoms characterized a heavy hangover. Severe headache and extreme sensitivity to bright lights and loud sounds. I walked over to Dustin's side of the bed, holding the pot and pan over his head and started banging them together as loud as I could. Dustin reacted to the obnoxious clangs as if he were a vampire being attacked by the sun, showing that the sound caused him pain. I found myself enjoying his reactions as he grabbed his head with both hands as that would do anything to subside the pain now pounding in his dehydrated and intoxicated brain. He rolled around like an epileptic animal shouting curse words that were barely audible over my continuous clangings of the pots and pans. Finally, the sound and pain became too much. Dustin threw off the covers and jumped to his feet. He made one small stumble with his back foot, demonstrating that he was still drunk. He behaved like a wounded animal with one goal, to make the pain stop. The inevitable physical violence now came from Dustin. He threw a joke of a punch at me. I smacked his hand with a pan. Dustin swore in pain, as his knuckles collided with the metal resulting in a dull clang. He didn't learn his lesson the first time, so he threw a second punch at me, with the same result. This time he lost balance and fell over his drunk self, his face landing on his bleeding knuckles. I, once again, started clanging the pod and pan over his head, only angering him further. As he tried to scramble back to his feet, I kicked him with a push, with a push kick knocking him backwards into his heap of black nightstand. Now I knew Dustin was a wannabe gangster, but even with that, I did not expect what he did next. Dustin quickly rose back to his feet, opened the sliding drawer of his nightstand and pulled out a compact-sized pistol and pointed it directly at my head. Needless to say, I stopped climbing in the pot and panned immediately. Dustin stood there, his face bright red with anger and pain, holding the gun in a shaking hand with the finger on the trigger. There was no doubt in my mind that this kid was irresponsible, as Dustin would keep a gun chambered, so I knew that the trigger pull would mint a bullet in my head. We stood there in silence for a moment as I stared in the silver circle of the barrel. Surrounded by matte black, Dustin's, Dustin's expression softened some, and as he realized the gravity of the situation, a fool like him wouldn't be able to pull off a clean murder. I could see it in his eyes, and he understood that pulling the trigger would mean a life in prison. By now, everyone in the apartment was awake and aware of the situation. They stood awkwardly outside the bedroom door, not sure what to do now that the ringleader of the circus had pulled out a gun. Every part of me wanted to rip the gun from his hands and kill him right then and there. It's actually a fairly simple maneuver if you know what you're doing. I may have even been with In my legal rights to do so, but I didn't need my name on the police record nor time spent in court. The last thing I wanted to do was bring unnecessary attention to myself, particularly not with law enforcement, so I chose a more tactful way. I'm not okay with you bringing these drugs into my apartment, I told him, calm but assertive, as not to stir an irrational reaction from the idiot with a gun. I don't care what you do with your own life, but it's not okay. For you to risk my future. What are you gonna do? Go snitch into the police? He spat at me, still pointed the gun at my forehead. The answer was yes. I would go to the police if I needed to. But right now, I need to de-escalate the situation, not to give him a reason to shoot me. No, I told him, reclaiming calm. As long as you keep your drugs out of my apartment, I will never speak of this again. Well, guess what? You don't get to tell me what to do, bitch. If you go snitch me out, I'll make sure to tell them that you're part of this operation, Dustin said, gesturing with the handgun. I couldn't help but notice the way that he had to act tough in front of his friends. It was almost comical to see that happening. Matter of fact, I already had drugs hidden somewhere in your stuff to make sure that if I go down, you do too. I really don't believe that Dustin had the intelligence nor the foresight to hide drugs away just in case. But I couldn't be certain, and in the meantime, I had to let Dustin believe he won all right, Dustin. I said, making sure to look scared that's what he, that's what he wants. Do people think of hear him? I promise I won't say a word. You win, Dustin. good, he said, finally removing his finger from the trigger instead of lowering it. He hit me with it. I felt the whole card I felt the cold, hard metal of the gun slam into my face, just the side of my left eye. I fell to the ground, allowing Dustin to feel superior for the moment. It took everything I had to hide my anger and keep my scared expression, but I managed. Next time, I'll kill you, Dustin said before telling me to get out. I retreated to my room, locking the door behind me. As I held a paper towel to my bleeding face, I couldn't help but smile in excitement. It had been too far along since I had a legitimate reason, an excuse if you will, to feel that rush and enjoyment for two long years. Little did Dustin understand that the war he just started. I would never allow a simple-minded fool to risk my future with his drugs. He most definitely didn't understand that he could not win. I always win. I kept to myself, mostly in my room, for the remainder of the weekend. It seemed that the events of Saturday morning had had at least put the clowns off enough that they took their Saturday night substance circus elsewhere. Meanwhile, I thought back to the brief conversation with Dustin. And there was one particular statement that had me had had made that stood out. I'll make sure to tell them that you were part of this operation. Is what he told me. Operation was the one word that gave it all away. This told me that he wasn't just an idiot on drugs. No. He was the dealer. When why I admire intro- intro- Well I admired and no matter how stupid I can't I couldn't let this operation tarnish my future. I knew what I had to do. Monday morning I left my apartment for class at a normal time. Instead of going to class, however, I waited for Dustin to leave the stone from the stone park bench across the road. We had class at the same time but he almost always was late in getting out of bed and doubtfully showed up to class late. Finally, about 50 minutes after class should have begun, I watched his greasy brown head walk away from our apartment building. This meant that I had several hours before he would be home. I re-entered re- my apartment where I went into the bathroom, retrieved my pair of teal latex cleaning gloves, the very same ones I wore when I killed Brian. I put those on carefully. Ensuring that I didn't touch the hands nor the fingers of the gloves. After wiggling my fingers into them, I was ready to investigate. I slowly entered Dustin's room, carefully not to accidentally move anything out of place. Not that it would be noticed Dustin was a pig. Stepping over a heap of dirty laundry, I made my way to the nightstand first and I softly pulled out a faded gold knob. Quickly drawer-slid, revealing the gun. At least he wasn't stupid enough to take it to class with him. But I'd make him regret it nonetheless. He had one extra magazine in the drawer, along with the black spring-loaded knife. Also in this drawer was a picture of him and his girlfriend. I guess even wannabe gangsters have a soft spot. I think I'm one of those few lucky people who don't have soft spots. Soft spots are for the weak spots. Next, I made my way around his unkept bed to the closet, which had one of those sliding doors already open, revealing haphazardly hung clothes. I could see the corner of a stack of shoes boxes laid, covered with a few jackets and hoodies, in a feeble attempt to appear re- to discreet. I knew that these boxes probably had what I was looking for. I carefully moved the smelly jackets off out of the way, taking note of the exact order in which the jackets were placed. Inside the top orange shoe box was just some papers, nothing important to me. In the second box, I found multicolored glass pipe on top of three large bags of marijuana. Quite a bit if you yes for me, but I'm no expert. I set the marijuana bag outside and I opened the third box, jackpot. In this box, I found a large bag of white powder. The bag was marked with a B, undoubtedly referring to blow street name for cocaine. This seemed like an awful lot of cocaine. It wouldn't take an expert to realize that the bag had worth a thousand alone. Next to the large white bag was a dozen or so pocket-sized bags sitting on top of a small scale filled carefully pre-portioned doses of the drug. This confirmed the suspicion that I had ever since. Dustin had accidentally used the word operation. Dustin was clear selling. By the looks of it, Stestin was dealing quite a bit of marijuana and cocaine. This was something I definitely couldn't be okay with in my apartment. I moved the large bag to the side to find what else might be lurking. Underneath the cocaine was a transparent zip bag of small white tablet-shaped pills, probably 40 to 50 in count, labeled. The bag was labeled CPT Cody with a Sharpie. The tablets had a letter M on the side and the number 30 embedded on the other. I didn't know what those were, as I've never settled drugs, but I would definitely do research to figure it out. For now, I had everything that I needed to be tentative planned. After putting everything back for how I found it, I left. I went to the library and searched through dozens of thick hardcover textbooks, sifting through pages still stained with highlighter crusty coffee spills from peri- previous students. Sure, a simple internet search would have been easier, but I couldn't risk any chance of being traced. After hours of straining my eyes on these tiny print for the textbook, I found what I was looking for. I and knew you, and you just was getting involved with some serious drugs when I found the cocaine, but this information showed even a darker truth. M- 30 pills are prescription oxycodone opiates but the name Captain Cody reveals that the pills are something else entirely thanks to criminal justice drug enforcement textbook I found that the small and tablets that tablets I found were not oxycodone but fentanyl a synthetic opiate over 50 times stronger than morphine according to this textbook it's common for dealers to mask them with as oxycodone for one reason or another that the lethal dose of fentanyl is only two to three milligrams. A smile crept across my face from my quiet corner in the huge library. It was time to try something new. I had a plan. I spent the next week going about business as usual, quietly staying out of Dustin's way, but watching intently. every day after class that De- Dustin would come to the apartment and disappear into his room for only a few short minutes, then reemerged with his dirty forest green backpack. He would return anywhere between 90 minutes to two hours later and then disappear into his room again. It was so hard to tell that this time frame was Dustin was doing his deliveries. His weird girlfriend would, not, would now show up while he was gone. Apparently he he gave her a key. I wondered though if Dustin knew that she was sneaking into his stash. As soon as she got into the apartment, she would duck inside his room for a few minutes, come back come back out to get a soda. Almost every time I noted a smear of white under her n- left nostril. Although she was a cokehead, at least she was smart enough to use dustin to get what she wanted. Wednesday night would be the night, the night that we finally put our problems behind me. Again, I skipped out of my morning class. The class was humanities. The single most drab class one could take. Spend hours reading worthless poetry, then listen to some idiots try to sound sophisticated about it. I hated it. But I only needed a seat to get credit. Instead, I waited for Justin to leave. As soon as he left for the day, I entered his room, went to the drug box, to find that just much business as kids been doing. The drug shoe box had been drained quite a bit, but the cash box was definitely more full. His operation was going successfully, but he was sloppy and he would definitely get caught if he was allowed to continue. I wasn't willing to get caught up in that. Sarah had given me a mortar and pestle before I moved out. And this was the first time that I'd be using it. After covering my nose and mouth with a thick cloth, I dropped several little pills into the thick granite bowl and used the sturdy stone pestle to crush them. The grinding sound wasn't pleasant. It reminded me of nostrils, of nails, on a chalkboard, only less high-pitched. Still, I continued to crush and grind, adding a few pills at the time, as the contents of the bowl slowly began to chalky powder. Uh, after about twenty minutes of constant grinding, I felt as though I had the right amount. I, with gloved hands, I compared the consistency of the chalky fentanyl with that of the cocaine. The fentanyl was a bit thicker more off-white comparatively, but I knew that I, if I mixed it well, enough, you know, it would go unnoticed. I removed a small portion bag of cocaine from the box. Carefully, I emptied the contents into a small cap where I mixed the cocaine with fentanyl, calculating about the correct amount of fentanyl for one lethal dose. After I was satisfied with my mix, I put the now-laced cocaine back in each baggie. After mixing more fentanyl with the remaining large bag of cocaine, keeping the same ratio, everything was ready to go. I put everything back into Dustin's closet, sanitized my gloves and equipment with bleach dish soap. Now, all I had to do was wait. Dustin arrived back at the apartment on schedule, quickly ducking into his room, leaving five minutes later with his ugly backpack to go sell drugs. Soon after, his girlfriend came in. As planned, she went into Dustin's room. I watched from the crack in the door as she emerged a few minutes later through soda. She was smiling awkwardly and did a weird snort of twirl toward the soda before plopping herself into a plump cushion. I watched her head would drop slightly and went back up as she tried to keep herself awake. The nods became more pronounced, and she finally laid her head back and closed her eyes, giving into to the deep relaxation effect of the powerful opiate. I emerged from my room to analyze her condition. Her, eyelid, her head lay back with her mouth open and arms sprawled toward the side as if she hadn't merged with the sofa. She was completely out. I poked at her a few times to make sure she would not easily wake before positioning her in such a way to keep her airway open. I needed her still alive, unfortunately. I got the rest of my preparations ready, quickly but carefully. As I waited for Dustin's arrival, I paced the room while lightly snapping my fingers in a mixture of excitement and nervousness. I couldn't wait to execute the remainder of the plan, but I started to feel anxious about it. I felt as though I didn't know enough about drugs. They could be unpredictable. I had an easy backup plan for if the girl died, but it would be messy if she woke up too early. Finally, I heard the jingle of keys outside of the apartment and the subsequent click of the deadbolt sliding in the unlocked position. After the front door was closed, Dustin turned the lights and froze in sight of front of him. I had his gun pointed at him from behind his couch, just behind his unconscious girlfriend. In my other hand, I held Dustin's knife to her neck. I wouldn't advise doing anything stupid, Dustin, I said, told him calmly. His eyes widened as he gasped about the situation. A worry tainted his usually, unusually smug face, exposing one of his greatest weaknesses, love. He most definitely loved this girl. What did you do to her? Dustin asked. through clenched jaws, frightened and slowly putting his hands up as if he was arresting him i knocked her out after she threatened to frame me the same way you threatened me i'm not going to hurt either of you as long as we both can come to an agreement that to part ways peacefully and neither of us will go to the police i think it's clear that either of us gets turned in will rat each other out now please take a seat i pointed with the gun to the chair the opposite side of the coffee table to his girlfriend and myself. For my quest, he walked over and sat down. If you hurt her, I'll kill you, Dustin said with a clenched jaw. Don't worry, I fully intend for her to be unharmed, I told Dustin, being honest for the first time since his arrival. Now, help yourself to a line. I want you to be relaxed keeping the knife at the girl's throat, I pointed to the three lines of tainted cocaine that I had prepared for him. Why the hell would I take a line at a time like this? Dustin spat. Just to make sure that if you called police, you'd have to tell them that you were on drugs. I'm trying to draw a truce, Dustin, so nobody gets screwed. Dustin grabbed the rolled-up bill that I prepared leaned over his first line with his nose and his free nostril. He snorted. in. The white powder sucked through the dollar bill, straw like a vacuum sucking up a flower. He took a deep breath, looking more relaxed, and looked back at me. I'm going to need you to tell me what drugs you hid in my room and where, I told him. Dustin comprehended the demand, revealing that he had indeed hidden drugs somewhere in my stuff. I was impressed that he was smart enough to actually have done that. I taped weed to the floor van, Dustin admitted, deciding to tell me the truth. Excellent. Thank you for telling me that, I told Dustin with a gentle smile. Now please take another line so we can talk about what's going to happen. I smiled as Dustin bent over and snorted the second line. The first line had only a small amount of fentanyl, but the second line was half cocaine, half fentanyl. It was just over a lethal dose, by my calculation. Dustin closed his eyes, shook his head after snoring the second line. I'm not sure how much resistance he had to the drug, but it seemed to hit him hard. Now here's the plan, I said, keeping Dustin's mind distracted from the drug. As he looked up at me, I could see that the black pupils narrowing within the brown eyes, signaling that the drug taking rapid effect. I'm going to move out. And you're going to take over the full lease willingly. I wouldn't say anything about the drugs. And you wouldn't say anything about this little well incident. Sound good? Whatever, man. Just take the knife off off of her. Dustin said as he rubbed his eyes. I could see that he already fighting the urge to let his head drop. Perfect. Take the last line and we'll shake on it. I don't want to, man. Something feels weird with this blow. Dustin said as he started to sway it ever so slightly. Take the line, Dustin, so I can let her go. Shaking his head, Dustin bent down, snorted the final line. This line was pure fentanyl, probably enough to kill two people. Dustin put one hand on his head and grabbed the table with the other hand and attempted to steady himself. His chest moved ang- angrily as his breathing became labored and loud. I removed the knife from the girlfriend's neck and stood up fully to watch Dustin be completely taken over by his drugs. He leaned on the table and his diaphragm now contracted heavily and violently as each breath now rasped like a snorting bulldog. He made an effort to look up at me, but his arm gave out under his weight and his face slammed into the table with a thud. His butt still sat on the chair, but his face now rested on the coffee table. I felt a surge of euphoria come over me as I watched Dustin struggle for a few more times to pick up his head. He only made it a few inches each time before his head thud back on the table. I couldn't help but laugh out loud and I thought back to when he told me next time I'm going to kill you. If only he knew just the type of person he had to say that to. The fool thought himself a superior man who could stomp all over me. But I proved to him that I am not a pawn in my way. Bubbly white foam now appeared from his mouth, slowly drifting onto the table. The raspy breath now turned into consistent choking and squirgling sounds signaling respiratory failure. I took a s- seat and watched eagerly as his body made involuntary seizure like jerks. I wasn't sure if I had in the conscious remaining. But I sure hoped that it hurt and that he could feel the pain. Finally, his breathing and s- and seizing stopped altogether, and Dustin was completely motionless. It was a- his head was on the table as was his left arm, and his right arm dangled down as his fingers touched the gray carpet. I checked his pulse to verify that he was dead. There was nothing. I looked over to the girl having completely forgot about her in a moment. Her breathing was steady, which was good. If she did, had died, I would have to be the one to discover the bodies. I retrieved the marijuana from that Dustin had placed in the floor vent and checked the rest of the vents just to make sure. After replacing the gun and knife in Dustin's former nightstand, I took off my latex cleaning gloves and sanitized them one more time to make sure that there was no drugs residue left. Finally, I crashed onto my bed and quickly fell asleep. Murder is hard work. I woke up to a loud scream coming from the living room. Dustin's girlfriend had finally woke up. I checked the clock to see it was 12.23, which meant Dustin had been dead for hours now. I took one deep breath before bursting out of the room to appear as if I were panicked. I saw Dustin's girlfriend leaning over him, trying to shake him wake. begging him him through her obnoxious sobbing. Oh my God, what happened? I said, loudly, acting shocked and scared. I I don't know, she said, sobbing desperately. I think he took too much, she said, sobbing. I'm sure at this point she knew deep down inside that he was long gone dead. Perhaps in denial, I could imagine his body was still warm. Did you call anyone? I asked her, trying my best to remain panic-stricken. She shook her head and tears as tears streamed on her face. As she, I realized that she was in no state to call, so I figured I would do, have to. 911, what's your emergency? Please help. I think her roommate overdosed or something. But he's not moving. I half yelled over the phone, acting as though I was terrified and surprised. I gave the operator the address. After ensuring that help would, was on the way, she asked me to check for vitals. I went along with the situation, in character of a scared young man and looked for a pulse, pretending like I was hoping to find one. Dustin was cold and obviously dead. Stiff muscles in the neck told me that the rigor mortis had already started. Dustin's girlfriend now sat on his side, clutching his cold head, trying to grasp that her lover was dead. I couldn't understand why she was so shaken up. What did she expect? A happily ever after with three cute kids, a white picket fence? Nonetheless, I gently pulled her away from the body as first responders arrived. A girl who I had never even talked to To pull me into an unexpected race, burying her face into my shoulder. I hated every disgusting second of her crying on me, but I fought off my impulse to push her away. I needed to act like a normal person. A pair of minutes hadn't even tried to revive him. He was too far dead for that. I gave my statement to the police, making sure that it appeared that it had been badly shaken up by the event. I admitted that I had witnessed drugs being used by Dustin and his girlfriend. and told the story when I confronted Dustin that he had pointed a loaded gun at me. I even let the fake tears escape as I told police how I was scared that Dustin might kill me if I reported it. In distress, Dustin's girlfriend, ironically her name was Sarah, completely backed my story as she was there when the gun was pulled. She was obviously unconscious while I forced Dustin to overdose. So she thought he did it to himself. She spilled the beans about the drug use as well as the drug dealing. She admitted everything, completely incriminating herself and her friends. The investigation didn't last long, but over the next five days, five more students had fentanyl overdose after buying some of Dustin's cocaine. But unfortunately, only two of them were fatal. The blame for the deaths was straight to Dustin. I was determined that he had been the one who laced the cocaine with fentanyl in order to have the best product on campus. In some deep ref- reflection to my previous murder, I made some notes. Killing Dustin with drugs was ultimately much cleaner, with far fewer forensics issues to worry about. All the blood from the stabbing was messy you don't realize how much blood a person has until you stab them several times. That being said, stabbing Brian just felt so much more satisfying. Something about looking into his eyes as I pushed a knife into his heart had left me with an itch that I could not quite scratch. The only negative consequence for me is that the university sent me to the trauma counseling, which meant that I had to keep up the charade of having been traumatized for a while. As expected, Dean and Sarah gave me massive amounts of sympathy over the ordeal, offering to pay for expensive counseling, which I politely refused. Instead, they quickly purchased me a lease for a different one-bedroom apartment where I would no longer need to have roommates. This was perfect, as I hated roommates, and I couldn't risk killing them all. Sarah and Dean, would be easy to manipulate. Once again, I always win. This was a th- end of the second manuscript I received from the alleged serial killer, Rich. If true, at the end of this story, Rich would officially be classified as a serial killer. Now, according to the first and second manuscripts, Rich had murdered five people by the end of his sophomore year in college. Once again, I have found archived real news coverage of the events of the series of fentanyl overdoses at the university. One student, Dunstan Anderson, was found to be responsible for the lace drugs after being the first fatality in the string of overdoses. This university is only 35 miles from the high school where Brian Jones was stabbed to death. Although my initial suspicions were those that these were fake, I couldn't help but put a note from the first-person perspective. Let's assume that these manuscripts are real. Most serial killers collect some type of trophy. I believe these manuscripts could be the trophies for this serial killer. What do you think? Mr. S. Very interesting story to be exact. <laughs> College serial killer. Like a Ted Bundy. Ooh, Let's see if there will be a third manuscript coming through. <laughs> you all have a good night and sleep tight. And do let the bit bugs bite.